and welcome to the Sacred City Life Podcast. This is your host, Pastor Justin Dean. This podcast is all about helping you follow Jesus in the everyday, normal rhythms of life. And this segment of the podcast we call Theology for Everyone, that we are working through the Westminster Confession of Faith, a short, systematic theology that everyone should know. Um, And we are trying to raise the biblical literacy of our church. We're trying to raise the theological and doctrinal understanding of our church so that our moms and our dads and our missional community leaders and our deacons um, have a solid foundation uh, from from which to live their life. And so today we're going to be looking at chapter 20, article articles 3 and 4. We're on Christian liberty and liberty of conscience again. And um, today on the podcast, I've got my, uh, my three amigos here. If you guys want to go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah, it's Rob Spikestra, pastor of discipleship. How's it going, guys? I'm Alex Tate. I'm the Sacred City Youth Director. And this is Kevin Kenora, pastoral assistant. All right. We do not know which one here is the mouth breather. Uh, we've been notified <laughs> that, uh, that somebody's been breathing on the mic. Technically, we have two quality mics here that's got like the windscreen. So more than likely, it's not myself or Rob, but uh, my, my, my guys across from me here. But we are going to be purchasing new mics. So we apologize for that annoyance. If it's annoying, if you're like listening in your air, your air buds or whatever, yeah. and it's just, <laughs> you just, <laughs> you just <laughs> dark Vader. <laughs> so um, on Christian Liberty, that's what we're talking about today. The liberty that we have in Christ, what does that mean for us? Does that mean if you come to Christ that you are a law unto yourself? You know, no one can tell you what to do anymore. Um, you know, I'm under, I'm under grace and not law and I can do what I want. Is that what it means? Many people would say yes, but the Westminster Divines are going to articulate this uh, clear for us. They're going to bring us to a lot of scripture and they're going to tell us uh, what's true. Kevin, you want to go ahead and read it for us and then we can go back through, okay? They who, upon pretense of Christian liberty, do practice any sin or cherish any lust, do thereby destroy the end of Christian liberty, which is that being delivered out of the hands of our enemies, we might serve the Lord without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Okay. So, the Westminster divines knew, I mean, this, this, you know, that long ago that there were some people that would say, hey, I am free in Christ. I've been set free and therefore I can do whatever I want. I have been set free from sin. And so I'm going to live my life however I want to live my life. So they're saying there's forgiveness. They can just go out and do whatever. That's right. That's right. I've heard this called uh, greasy grace. Uh-oh. I've heard this called <laughs> sloppy, <laughs> sloppy agape. I've heard it. <laughs> wow. I've heard it called many things. Uh, basically, since I'm saved, who who cares, right? If Jesus paid for all my past, present, future sins, then who cares how I live my life now? Everything's under the blood, right? Well, this is what the Westminster divines say: They who, upon pretense of Christian liberty, do practice any sin or cherish any lusts. Now remember, practice any sin. Not just commit a sin, but practice any sin or cherish any lust. Do Christians still sin? Yes. Do Christians still lust? Yes. But do they practice make a practice of sin? No. Can you give an example of like just practicing like this sinful nature you're saying? Refusing to repent and change. Mm. 
So um, going back to the this, like a dog returns to its vomit, mm. right? So a fool returns to his folly. Going back to the same old sin over and over and over and, and not growing mm. in grace and, and in sanctification and putting to death the deeds of the body, putting to death those, those sins, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And there you see here, uh, he talks about practice. So this is an action. Or this is something about kind of a, something we can maybe even, we can observe. Mm-hmm. But then you see the second one, or cherish any lust, which now gets at the heart issue, which mm-hmm. is loving some sin, you know, yeah. where it's just something that you love and protect and, and keep. And so, of course, using the word cherish there is a, is a good word. So it's, it's not just observable actions, but it's also those things within mm. our heart and uh, that we lust or that we cherish. So. Yeah, and this is just getting at the point that Christians should not allow, that they should not cherish their sin. They should not uh, call a truce mm. with their sins, mm-hmm. but they should be, as John Owen says, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. That we should not call a truce with, with our sins. We should not be okay with, oh, I, just, I guess I just have an anger problem, no big deal. No, you should be putting that sin to death. Or I just have a lust problem. Or if I'm, I'm just um, a, a really, you know, whatever, whatever proclivity that you have, we don't just throw up our hands and say, this is who I am. What, what, what does it look like to, uh, um, I guess, call a truce with someone else's sin hmm. in that? Calling truce with someone else's sin? Well, I mean... We're friends, right? And, you know, you're sinning, but I, I don't want to have conflict, right? Yeah, so that's, we, we would be getting into a Christian community now. Most clearly, it's seen in marriages. Mm-hmm. So a woman basically, we never say this, but like, if you don't call me out on this, I won't call you out on that. <laughs> right, right, right. Right? <laughs> right? And so you have, you have husband and wife calling truce with each other's sin mm-hmm. because they're allowing the other person to sin and keep their own mm-hmm. precious, you know? Mm-hmm. The Lord of the Rings, that's how yeah. sin gets characterized as mm. my precious, <laughs> you know? It's something we cherish. It's something that we love. Yeah. Okay. If you do that, so if you choose to love a sin and practice it, you do thereby destroy the end of Christian liberty. Mm. The end, the goal, the telos, the end of... The, the, the end of the race, right? So you're, you're meant to become something. You're meant to become something. And if you cherish your sin and you continue to practice your sin, you destroy the very goal of the liberty that Christ gave you. Yeah. All right? So what does that liberty look like? What is that liberty? Or what is that goal? What is that end? Which is that being delivered out of the hands of our enemies... We might serve the Lord without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. All right. So through the gospel, we've been set free from sin. We've been set free from the tyranny of the devil. Think of us as being chained to the devil, chained to sin, having ball ball and chain around our, our ankles, right? And then Jesus comes and says, hey, come run with me. I'm, I'm going to lead you to the good life, life and life more abundantly. Well, you're, you're never going to be able to do that because you're chained to, you're enslaved to your sin, right? Well, Jesus comes along and he breaks those chains. He frees you from the, the tyranny of the devil. He frees you from your slavery to sin. And he says, come follow me. But you go, no, I'm good. I'm forgiven. I'm going to go back and chain myself 
to these sins. Mm-hmm. And this is why we're, we're, we're called to, to, to run the race that's set before us, right? And we're supposed to uh, throw off the sins that so easily entangle us, yeah. right? These, these sins that slow us down. Sin and unrepentant sin and cherished sin makes cowards out of men. Mm. Men with men entangled with sin don't charge the devil's kingdom, right? Mm-hmm. And, and listen, what did Jesus say? The gates of hell shall not prevail against us, right? The yeah. gates of hell. Well, gate, gates are not offensive we- weapons. Yeah, defensive. Yeah. Gates are defensive weapons. We are meant to be charging the, the devil's kingdom, let's say, right? We're char- you could say small ruler of this world. Mm-hmm. A lot of people under his his charge. Us men and women of God are meant to be charging into quote unquote his territory and bringing people to Christ, mm-hmm. right? Bringing, uh, uh, wrecking, wrecking his kingdom, right? Mm-hmm. Re- wrecking his plans and the gates of hell will, will not prevail against us. But when we're caught up in sin, you, it just takes your confidence. Mm-hmm. You don't have a boldness to stand up and say, this saith the Lord. You don't have a boldness to, to share your faith with your coworkers. You don't have a boldness to lead your family. So one of the things that sin does, it just trips us up, mm-hmm. ties our feet together, mm-hmm. and, and, it, and it ruins the end for which Christian, Christian liberty, Christ set us free so that we could be free indeed and we could run with Jesus mm-hmm. and we could follow Jesus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What a great imagination that that creates for us. So it's really kind of this Christian imagination that God is wanting us to have, and that is to see the, the pursuit of, you know, of godliness as something as wonderful as that, you know, I, I guess I, I'm, I'm seeing you here as a man and I love the picture. I love the picture of, of being courageous and going after the, the kingdom that is wrecking this world. I want to wreck his world. And mm. he's calling us to wreck his, uh, wreck our enemy's world. And that's, a, that's an exciting thought. And it, but it starts with me, uh, dying to sin, living to Christ. And, uh, that, that's good news. This is a uh, good, good imagination you got going here. This is good. Yeah, that's it. I love it. <clears throat> so, um, so anyone who's, who, yeah, you're just not going to be a threat to the devil's kingdom and you're not going to be, um, effective disciple maker mm-hmm. that, that, that God's called you, God's called you to be sin wrecks our witness, sin ruins our confidence, sin makes cowards of men. Yeah. All right. Okay. So Christian liberty is given to us so that we could be more like Christ and we could follow him all the days of our life without fear in holiness and righteousness before him. All right, article four. Now this one gets a little complicated and it was edited. This is, this is, we were just talking about this. This article was edited in 1789 and uh, I disagree with the edits. And so I'm going to read the old article once we get there, but it's just at the very end, it's just one little piece, but uh, let Kevin, why don't you go ahead and read this one? This is about, I'm just going to tell you, this is about um, the powers, the, the powers that God put in place. We could say the spheres of authority that God put in place in society, okay? And basically, someone who might say, well, since I'm a Christian, this is kind of like, can I be kind of like an anarchist? Like, I'm my own rule. I don't need to submit to the government. I don't need to submit to a church. I don't need to submit to anybody. I'm my own authority. I'm under Christ, so I'm not under any governing authorities, okay? This is the the Westminster Divines answering that question, okay? Yeah. Go ahead. 
And I believe we have um, on here the original version, but I will read it. And because the powers which God has ordained and the liberty which Christ has purchased are not intended by God to destroy, but mutually to uphold and preserve one another, they who, upon pretense of Christian liberty, shall oppose any lawful power or the lawful exercise of it, whether it be civil, civil or ecclesiastical, resist the ordinance of God. And for their publishing of such opinions or maintaining of such practices as are contrary to the light of nature or to the known principles of Christianity, whether concerning faith, worship, or conversation, or to the power of godliness, or such erroneous opinions or practices as either in their own nature or in the manner of publishing or maintaining them, are destructive to the external peace and order which Christ has established in the church, they may lawfully be called to account and proceeded against by the censures of the church and by the power of the civil magistrate. Okay. And you know what I just found? I have both copies here. That's why I was confused. Ah. I have two chapter 20s. How weird. In my little (laughs) book, I have two chapter 20s. That was totally throwing me off. Okay, there it is. Let's work through this together. It was a long one. Mm -hmm. Okay, and because the powers which God hath ordained. We did a uh, podcast a few months back on government according to God, and we talked about self-government, we talked about family government, we talked about church government, and we talked about civil government. Those are the forms of government authorized by Scripture. That's what they mean here when they're talking about, and because the powers which God hath ordained. We, we, we could, it's been called sphere sovereignty. It's been called government. Um, here it's just called the powers which God hath ordained. Mm-hmm. And the liberty which Christ, Christ hath purchased are intended by God, are not, I'm sorry, are not intended by God to destroy. Okay, right away. The liberty that we've been, so Christ is our king, does not mean that we are now not subject to the civil authority, civil magistrate, or not subject to our ecclesiastical authority, our church government, or not under the authority of our parents as if we're, if we're children, etc. Okay, so freedom in Christ does not set us free from all of those things. Mm-hmm. But mutually to uphold and preserve one another. Okay, so our submission to Christ should make us better citizens of the civil magistrate, better members of a church body, better members of a family. They are to uphold and preserve one another. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're to work towards God. Government is God's idea. Mm-hmm. And the freedom that we found in Christ is meant to uphold good, godly government. Mm-hmm. Okay? They who, so those who disagree with this, we could call them Christian anarchists, upon pretense of Christian liberty shall oppose any lawful power or the lawful exercise of it, whether it be civil or ecclesiastical, resist the ordinance of God. So when a Christian stands up and says, I'm not under the authority of any government, I'm my own man, they're resisting the ordinance of God. When a Christian stands up and says, I don't need the church, I don't need to be a church member. I don't need 
to be subject to elders and be subject to pastors. They are resisting the ordinance of God. Do we have a text for that one? Yeah, 1 Peter 2, 13, 14, and 16. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Okay. Paul says almost the same thing in, in Romans 13. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it does That does um, tell government what they're meant to do. Mm-hmm. Government is meant to promote the good and punish the evildoer. Mm-hmm. And we know what is good through Scripture. We know what is evil through Scripture. So government is meant to... So we are, we are called to obey our government as long as they're not telling us to disobey our God yeah. or to, you know, to not do, to not worship or something, to not do something God's called us to do. Uh, and that's when the, the word of God actually calls us to civil disobedience, mm. right? So it's not, this is not unlimited obedience. Whatever Caesar says to do, you have to do. We, we, we know that's not the case, right? Can you speak to the dangers of the, what you called the Christian anarchist position? Well, it's it's just becoming um, a law unto yourself, and it's subject to no one, right? And God's God set up. It's a rejection of all government, and it's just called like self government. Like I'm going to be, I'm going to rule the kingdom of one, and that's not the way Scripture um, has set up government. Mm-hmm. And it can, I mean, it can. It, it, do, it just doesn't, it just doesn't work. I mean, right. I, I mean, literally what the Bible would call that is everyone do, did right, did what was right in his own eyes. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And that never went well. And that was the, that was why one of the, that's why the flood happened, right? Everyone was doing right in their own eyes. Yeah. So we are made, this world is hierarchical. Okay. This world is uh, meant to be obviously God in heaven. And then he has hierarchies, underneath that hierarchies of authority and that we are meant to live in subjection mm-hmm. to or live it. Uh, now you've spoken to the state. Um, what about, what about the, the church? Mm-hmm. Uh, is there a passage for that one? One. And then two, what do we do with, I have another passage that might contrary, may seem to be contrary to submitting to uh, submitting to the church. So what's the passage we have for the, uh, for the Hebrews church? 13, 17, okay. obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not groaning, for that would be of no advance advantage of you. Okay, so right there, submit to your elders, obey your leaders. And it says you're, you're supposed to submit and obey your leaders in such a way that it would be a joy to your elders so that yeah. the elders wouldn't be doing their job grudgingly. Like if, if it's no fun to you know, have to drag a sheep, right? Uh, uh, you know, that's trying to go the opposite direction. So all church members, all Christians are called to submit to their, we would, in this ecclesiastical authority, so their elders, their, their pastors, and do so in such a way that their, the pastors enjoy their job, okay? Let me just say it like that. And did you say, and that's what we're all called to do. Yeah. Okay. And, and, I, and I think there's, a, there's a, a check and balance there. So what's the check and balance on that in the sense of uh, who are the elders then, in our case, going to be accountable 
too. Well, it's going to be accountable to God. And ultimately, that uh, as, a, as a member of, a, of the church, you can you can rest and trust that God will deal with the elders as they need to be dealt with, because we would admit as elders that we are fallible and we sin. And so, you know, we're not always going to be right, but we, if Lord willing, we're walking with the Lord and we're in God's word and we're trying to lead in such a way that we'll be honorable and good for the church. We do it out of love for the church. We, we call, you know, call our people to obedience. Um, ultimately, God's going to hold us accountable and we recognize that. That's a, that's a serious, that's a, that's a serious thing. Now, the passage I wanted to bring up is, is that because I've had this come at us or at me at one time in terms of being a pastor and that is that in First John, we hear this word, it says that the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. And he's speaking about the Holy Spirit here in 1 John chapter 2, uh, verse 27. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything that is true and is no lie, just as it's taught you, abide in him. And so I've had that actually been used as, hey, I don't need to be part of a church. I don't need to be under any kind of, any kind of church authority because I've got the Holy Spirit within me, mm. and, and he teaches me. Sure. Yeah, I would respond to that by a hermeneutical principle. And a hermeneutic is, is a way of interpreting scripture. And we would say the hermeneutic, the hermeneutic I'm talking about is you let scripture interpret other scripture. Mm-hmm. And you when you have a, a scripture that is hard to understand, you make sure that you you bring in the easier to understand understand scriptures, right? Mm-hmm. And when we are studying scripture, when we want to let scripture interpret scripture, that means we take all of scripture into account. We can't take one little Bible verse mm-hmm. and pull it out of pull it out of context, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, with this, I mean, we the 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 plethora of scriptures. You know, there's a lot more scriptures that talk about um, do not neglect. You know, gathering together, gathering together mm-hmm. the teaching, the teaching of scriptures, the reading, of, the public reading of scripture. Mm-hmm. Pastors are called to to teach, to correct, to reprove, rebuke, all of these different things. Um, so taking one kind of scripture to try to build a whole doctrine on, right. that's literally how heresy happens. Right, that's yeah. right. You know, that's yeah. literally how heresy happens. So what would the, the, you talk about the check and balances as, as pastors, what would that be as like uh, the sheep? Um, would that be for them to be checking scripture and reading it for themselves and making sure it's, it's lining up with the pastors or elders are saying? Yes, that's the um, the elders want to be able to show show their work and show this is why we believe what we believe. This is what the Bible teaches, and um, and so we want our people to have confidence in us that we because we trust the scriptures and we and we want to show our work. We don't want to just say trust me because follow me because I'm the elder. Just you know, be quiet. I'm the elder. You sit down. No, no, no. And that and in fact, the elders have no authority in ourselves. The authority that we have is a delegated authority from God. And as we walk away from the scripture, we lose that authority. I mean, we've talked about this. This is why Martin Luther struggled so much uh, opposing the Catholic Church and opposing the Pope because he believed in in biblical authority, but he saw the Catholic Church and the Pope walking away and denying the word of God from which their authority lies. The church doesn't have the authority. The scripture has the authority. So if you walk away from scripture, you lose that authority. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the the joy in this is that as we're kind of wrestling as, just as 
the body of Christ, just as individuals within the, within the body of Christ. So members are, are kind of wrestling with maybe uh, something that as us as elders have been leading in terms of the word of God that the joy can be in is, hey, let's let's get back to the word. Let's find out if you're in disagreement. Let's see what the word has to say. And our job is going to be to show you from scripture, convince you from scripture that the way we've been teaching uh, is is accurate and, and true to the word of God. And, and, and if it's not to the true word of God, then we're wrong. And uh, so that's where we'd be held accountable by God, um, God himself. But the, the joy in, in, in conflict, in one sense, is getting back to the word of God and finding, a, finding our answer out of God's word rather than our own feelings, our own opinions, kind of our own, you know, things that we, we, we bring into the picture. Uh, the word of God kind of can clarify that and, and clean that up for us. And we can all come out of a, a conflict with great joy because we, found, we hadn't found truth in God's word. That's, yeah. that's a great place to be. Okay, we'll go on. <clears throat> and for their publishing of such opinions or maintaining of such practices as are contrary to the light of nature or to the known principles of Christianity, whether concerning faith, worship, or conversation, or to the power of godliness, or such erroneous opinions and practices as either in their own nature or in the manner of publishing or maintaining them are destructive to the external peace and order which Christ has established in the church. They may lawfully be called account to account. Now, here's what's going on. They're saying you cannot say, well, I'm under Christ and I have Christian liberty. Therefore, I can go out. Let me just say this. I can go out and shoot my gun in the street. Okay? Just go out. Or specifically, I can publish. What's it say? Publishing of such opinions or maintaining of such practices as are contrary to the light of nature or to the known principles of Christianity. Here's what they're saying. If you are a Christian, and you've received Christian liberty, you can be a heretic at home, (laughs) okay? You can hold false beliefs at home and maybe still be saved about some of them, you know, depends what they are. But if you publish those ideas, the church is gonna call you out. The church is gonna bring you to account. Now, this is interesting because I was thinking about this, the publishing of, we all, many of us, we publish things every day On Facebook, don't we? Yeah. So you can hold a private thought. You can hold private, oh, you know, whatever it is. You know, you 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 believe in something that, that the elders disagree with, okay? You can have that belief. As long as you stay quiet about it, that's totally fine, right? But if you go to publish those ideas, now you come under the authority of the church and the church, the, the elders will likely have to have a conversation with you mm. to, to bring to bring correction, all right? Now, so there's the publishing of such opinions, but here's, or maintaining of such practices, all right? There's some weird things people do in the name of Christianity, right? Maybe, I don't even know, you know, what we could get into, but let's just say, I don't know, praying for the dead or something, okay? Praying for the dead. As long as elders don't know about that and you do that in your private, okay, that's all. But you put that on Facebook, your elders now, your civil, your, your ecclesiastical authorities are now have to step into that, have to challenge that, okay? Um, I can think of some other examples here as well. 
But you're, so, so the thing is, so you're, you're, you're not saying that like elders don't care what you do as long as you're doing it in your house. No. Nope. Right? Okay. I just wonder. Because the way it sounded, it, it sounded as almost if it's like, if it's private, it's, it's okay, you know. But once it's, you know, seen or on social media, then we will address it as a congregation and eldership. Yeah. It's not that it's, well, it's like we, we wouldn't, we wouldn't know about it. We, we wouldn't really, you know what I mean? We wouldn't know about it. So, so here's the, here's the example. Um, we believe that you can, uh, that you the Bible teaches you can drink alcohol. Okay. And let's say you disagree with that, right? You disagree with that at home. You don't drink alcohol. You feel like Christians shouldn't drink alcohol. Okay. You can have that belief and it not cause any problem in the church, not cause any problem with the elders. Okay. It's a personal belief. Let's say, but now you start publishing those ideas. You start telling people in fit missional community. You start putting stuff on Facebook. No Christian should drink alcohol. It's a sin to drink alcohol, right? Now you are causing disunity in the church. You're causing division in the church and you're teaching heresy. Do you see that? So now the elders have to address you. Now the elders have to bring correction here. And they're going to talk to you. And the, and the answer is, okay, well, you, you say, well, I still disagree. And we're going to say, okay, you can disagree, but you have to stay quiet with your disagreement or you have to leave the church. But if they disagree, it's, uh, they're trying to believe their feelings are their belief instead of the truth. So wouldn't that be an issue? Well, it, it could be an issue for sure. But if they're convinced, if they're convinced of it, you know what I mean? Like there are some churches out there that teach that Christians shouldn't drink alcohol, mm-hmm. right? So to be in this church, to be in this church, you, you have two options. You can, you can be quiet about it. If you're going to maintain that belief, you can be quiet about it or the elders are going to have to, or you, or you can leave, right? Or you can leave. Yeah, so here's an issue that, that, that issue that you just brought there is an issue that's not a, in the bullseye, if you will, in terms of our, our, our soteriology, our, our justification by faith. It, it's really something that's, that's you know, kind of out outside of that range. So it's okay. I mean, if, if that's where you are convicted of, that's fine. Again, within the context of our church, you have two options. One is you quietly hold on to that belief or you go someplace else where you would, you would be more comfortable in terms of holding on to that belief, a church that would say opposite. So, so one of yeah. the lines it says here, then, so if you do that, listen, are destructive to the external peace and order which Christ has established in the church. Yeah, there you go. So you having that private belief at home doesn't destroy the, the peace of the church, the external peace of the church. But you bringing that up in missional community or you arguing about it or you publishing it on Facebook, that does threaten to, dis, to uh, destroy the external peace and order mm-hmm. which Christ has established in the church. Mm-hmm. I've seen it within the context. Here's another one, another example. I've seen it in the context of, of a head covering. So there are, there are people out there who believe, there's, there's churches that believe that, that all women should have head, cover, head coverings. Um, now, you can have a head covering and not be divisive and be in our church. Um, you know, that's not a problem. And so, again, it's, it's this external divisiveness or this, this concern of maintaining the peace um, that's, that's really probably the issue. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so this, the original version of this, so it said that, that, that this person may be lawfully be called to account, okay, and proceeded against by the censures of the church. So that means, so what does the church have the keys of? Or what do the elders have the keys of, right? What, what, what can we do? Do you know what elders can do? do you know what, what authority does el, do elders have? 
what can we do when somebody's uh, when somebody's in rebellion against God or someone is disobeying what we're teaching? Practice church discipline. That's it. That's the only thing we can do, right? The 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 ecclesiastical government, the keys of the kingdom that we have, is we can prevent them from taking the. We, we have church discipline. We can prevent them from taking the Lord's Supper, mm-hmm. or we can excommunicate them. Right, practice practicing church church discipline. So, person refuses to uh, stop teaching false thing, then we can we can remove them from the church. Right now, this says and by the power. The original one said and by the power of the civil magistrate. Now, this is what gets a little. This can get a little more concerning. What can the civil magistrate do? Take you to jail. I mean, <laughs> they can take you to jail. They can, they can kill you. you. <laughs> yeah. God's given the civil magistrate the sword, so He's given the church. He's given elders. the the The, the worst thing we can do is excommunicate someone. Mm-hmm. Okay, the worst thing the civil magistrate can do is kill someone. Execute, yeah. Right, and there, and so that's. I mean, so they were saying that a person in the church could say they have Christian liberty mm-hmm. and do things that are so harmful to the society that the civil magistrate might have to get involved, mm-hmm. right? And it was interesting because then in 1788, they they, re- they deleted that that piece, mm-hmm. that last little piece. And you brought up, this is after... Yeah, the Constitution. The, the Constitution. The Constitution. Where, where there's... And we, and we think it might have been just because of uh, the First Amendment. You know, the, the First Amendment that's, uh, that, that said that Congress shall make no law um, establishing religion or denying it. So I think in their mind, there was like, at that time, there was this clear delineation between what happens in the church and what happens in society and what happens out there. And they're more talking about the church, but they didn't even think about the issue of abortion. That that would have been, not even thinking about like, a government-sanctioned practice of abortion that a Christian woman could come in and say, "I'm a, I'm under Christian liberty. I'm under I'm under the gospel. It doesn't matter what I do with the child that's that's inside of me, mm-hmm. right?" And and so the so the government should be able to stop that mm-hmm. from happening, right? The government should be able to stop that from happening. Um, the church can't stop that from happening, but the government should be able to in, yeah. in that, in that instance. Mm-hmm. Um, so <clears throat> yeah. Any thoughts for any thoughts you guys have on this? Yeah. I'm just thinking, um, a lot of times I feel like we look at things like that and we say, Oh, well, you know, civil magistrate not getting involved and all that stuff. But when there's a sin, that's the, the example that's popping into my mind is pedophilia. We want the pastors to be able to exercise the ecclesiastical authority to discipline, and we want the civil magistrate to get involved, right? Yeah. So that's that's not always bad news. It's not always this, oh, is there going to be this overreach? But, but there are instances where, and that's the reason I think that they include it here in the original, because those two institutions are meant to be working together for the kingdom of God. Yeah, if it's, if it's a Christian... So this is why we want even our government under Christ mm-hmm. and we want our government operating from from a from a Christian worldview because we we want our government to censure um like 
I'll just say Islamic extremist teaching, mm. right? In our society, that's trying to promote jihad and, and kill people. We want that to be illegal, yeah. right? We want that to be illegal. Um, but it's a dangerous, it's a dangerous, but if, if the government, here's the, the deal. If the government has secular presuppositions and isn't Christ-centered, then guess what? Then they censure us. They censure what we, what we say, yeah. right? And so then we have to go back to the scripture and say, what is the government for? The government is to promote the good and punish the evildoer. Mm-hmm. The government doesn't get to invent what that good is and what that evil is. The government is under Christ. The government must go back to the scriptures where he has revealed what is good and what is true and what is, what is, what is right and must govern according, according to the word of God. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, and when they do, we, we submit to them. And when they don't, we resist them because our King is Christ. Yeah. Right. Okay. So kind of a long conversation talking about Christian liberty. Uh, so we are free, but we're not free from everything. <laughs> we still have to obey. We still have to obey the law. We still have to obey our pastors. We still have to obey um, our scriptures. Mm-hmm. So hopefully that was a blessing to you guys. If you've got any questions on that, email me at justindean at sacredcitychurch.com. We would love to answer your questions. We do love hearing from you as well. So please rate us on iTunes, share us wherever you're at, or rate us on Spotify. Um, Pass us on to anybody you think it'd be helpful to. Uh, We love you. We're praying for you. God bless. (music) 